Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Skating Penguin Network. Welcome back to another Penscast mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and typically, this is a three-man booth. Typically, we record with myself, Robbie Noggle, and Snail. However, Robbie is unavailable this week, so it is me, and I am joined once again by the slow-moving Snail out in the Pacific Northwest. We have 18 questions to get through this week from our loyal listeners, and uh, before we get the show on the road here. If you'd like to contribute to a future edition of this mailbag, you can do so by following the Skating Penguin Network on X slash Twitter, whatever it's called today. You can follow us at Penguins FFSN. Every Sunday, we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in these mailbag episodes like we are about to get underway right now. So, uh, Snail will get question number one. I will take question number two, and we will rotate until we have all 18 questions complete. So, Snail, uh, you get question number one. Question number one comes from the always reliable, dependable Brian. He's here back with another question. Who is one player or event that you would like to see a documentary made about? I think a Lemieux documentary would be awesome to have. Give the people who missed him insight on all of the challenges he faced throughout his Hall of Fame career. Yeah, I agree. Give us an in-depth uh, Lemieux doc. I think that'd be awesome. I mean, he was really, uh, I think there's a whole, a couple generations of hockey fans now that, you know, Lemieux's just a legend to them. And I think he deserves that doc. Um, I was thinking the the first two guys that kind of came to mind is like, you'd have to wait till it's all said and done, but like, give, give us like a Gino Malkin uh, documentary or Latang. They've both had, um, Okay, like Malkin, there's just not a lot about him out in the media. Like, I feel like go through YouTube, go through the internet. He doesn't really speak uh, to, I mean, he kind of speaks to the press, but there's just not, I mean, Sid has like, you know, he has his own documentary on YouTube from quite a while ago. And then he came out with a a book uh, or a, a audio book for, on Amazon pretty recently. Uh, and Gino's been, you know, kind of, uh, a little bit cast in the shadow of Sid, but he's been so important to this franchise and he's had, he has a hall of fame career uh, because of the language barrier. We don't know a ton of details about his personal life. And I, from what I understand is he's a hilarious guy and um, he's got a sense of humor and a great personality. I'd love to see that exposed through a documentary about his upbringing and, and whatnot in his career and maybe what it was like being, you know, having the talent of being a number one in any other market, but he was number two behind Sid and maybe how that, uh, how that kind of affected his, maybe his mindset and his playing career. Uh, Latang as well, you know, Latang has had an interesting career at being our, you know, our number one D man. And he's had just a slew of uh, pretty insane health, um, health issues here and there pop up. And he continues to just push forward and be this incredible athlete and a leader on this team. So I think both of those guys kind of deserve their own um, kind of like, I think they deserve their day in the spotlight. <clears throat> what about you, uh, Garrett? Do you, is there anybody I'm not thinking about? Um, I think Lemieux's a great one too. Like what Brian said, I, I'd love that. But uh, anyone else? There's one thing I was looking at this question earlier and there may even be a documentary on this at this point that I've just never come across. Uh, I want, I would love to see from start to finish the, the documentary and what went into Sidney Crosby's rehabilitation while he was dealing with his concussion issues uh, in 2010 slash 2011. Uh, I think 
having Crosby get robbed of his prime, his real athletic prime, and you know what we could have seen from a player of Crosby's cal- caliber at 24, 25 years old. And we didn't really get that because he was dealing with so many head-related injuries. And back in 2011, we were starting to really understand how severe these concussions can really be and how they can really harm a player's health. And so now, you know, 10, 12, almost 15 years later, I'd like to see that revisited and see how he was able to push through because there were genuine conversations that were mumbling around. I remember tuning in on ESPN and everyone was wondering, would the game's greatest player at that point, would the face of the league ever play another professional hockey game again? And obviously he did. He had that very memorable, iconic comeback against the New York Islanders in November of 2011. And then he would miss a couple of, uh, he would miss a stretch of games after that as well, but then he would eventually come back as a full-time player. And he's dealt with a couple of concussions, I believe, since then. He's, he's obviously taken very good care of his health, and he I think he does know, obviously, how dangerous these concussions can be. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see a documentary highlighting the the game that he went down. I think it was the Winter Classic against the Capitals, and then it was re-aggravated a couple games later in a game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and all of that re- rehabilitation process to come back to the top of the mountain and lead the Penguins as their captain once again. I think that's a great one. I would, I've heard like little whispers maybe here and there on podcasts about, you know, what Sid went through as far as rehab, but I think like an in-depth look in a, yeah, a documentary kind of about that. That's a great one, Garrett. All right, let's move on to question two here from Brian. And I love that this question is for Garrett because Garrett loves fighting. Uh, so who is your all-time favorite enforcer that has come through Pittsburgh? Brian's would have to be Aaron Asham. He'll never forget when he two-punched KO Jay Beagle and the celebration after. That was iconic. Was the it was Aaron Asham, was that the celebration where he did like the Snail, you might not even be a wrestling fan, but was that where he did like the go to sleep, CM Punk go to sleep taunt, like on his way to the penalty box? I don't know wrestling, but it was the where he did the little like put his hands together, yes, like, go yeah. to sleep, and then that's kind it. of a little bow. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the it. one. Yeah. Okay. That is, yeah, that's iconic. Uh, but I was looking at some some lists. Snail is right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, and this is all sarcastic font. I'm a big fan of the fights and the, the punchy punchy. But looking at some of the, there have been some some very notable names that have come through Pittsburgh. George's LaRock was the first name that came to mind. I mean, that dude was what six foot three, six foot four, two hundred seventy pounds. He was brought in in the early years of the Crosby Malkin era, but I think it was by Michelle Terrian to basically protect Crosby and Malkin and pummel his opponents. So George's LaRock, there's a guy that made a, a lot of different lists. It was way before my time. His name is Paul Baxter. He played in 202 games for the Penguins. And in those 202 games throughout the, I think it was the early 80s, throughout 202 games played, he accrued 851 penalty minutes and 31 fights all with the Penguins. So that is another one who was not afraid to throw his weight around and throw the fists as well. We mentioned Eric Goddard, or no, we mentioned we mentioned Aaron Asham. We didn't mention Eric Goddard, another six foot four big man. Ryan Reeves, most recently, uh, I guess you could label him as an enforcer. He's known to fight from from time to time. Gary Roberts, uh, another player before my time, but is certainly you know has a reputation here in Pittsburgh, uh, especially for the I think it was the 07 slash 08 maybe 09 playoff run. I remember what would Gary Roberts do? That was sort of populating on the 
early social media circles in in the Penguins fandom. You have Rick Tockett as well, who I haven't even mentioned. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's quite a few players who have come through and worn the black and gold who you could realistically put on any sort of enforcer list and be afraid of. But those are just a couple of the few that uh, have come to my mind. I don't know if I could give you a favorite. I don't know if I really have a favorite, but uh, those are certainly more of the notable enforcers that have come through and dropped the gloves while wearing the black and gold. I got to mention Tom Sestito. <clears throat> I, I just, this is my opportunity to finally really like express my fandom for this Tom Sestito that played in Pittsburgh in 2016 and 17. This dude, I was talking a little bit with Garrett about this before. I saw this question and I was like, oh my God, this is my chance to talk about Tommy Sestito. So this is actually the headline of an article written by SB Nation, uh, written by Mary Clark. And it says the the headline literally reads the Penguins called up a talentless goon and the NHL let him make a mess. And uh, that was a game against uh, the Winnipeg Jets where Gino had to answer the bell against Blake Wheeler and they fought. And then the next shift, Tom Sestito is looking up and down the Winnipeg Jets bench and him and Chris Thorburn go at it. Tom Sestito actually has his name on the cup. He uh, I don't think he scored. I should probably double check this, but I don't think he scored a single goal for the, for the Penguins, but he had Mike Sullivan's trust um, when he was a assistant coach with Vancouver under um, Torts. Torts really liked Sestito. Penguins, when Sullivan came in, they signed Sestito to a contract. And uh, anyways, I, I just had to say that quick. I love Tom Sestito. Um, Tom, if you're listening, I love you, pal. Uh, anyways, I think uh, I like the... I like him and Georges LaRock, you said that, Eric Goddard, Aaron Asham. A uh, lot of big-time heavyweights have come through Pittsburgh, man, if you really think about it. So, there's been a bunch of them that have come through to protect Sid and the boys. That there have. Well, to enforcers, from, from enforcers to this week's food question, we get question number three from Brian. Again, back to food. This time we're talking about pizza, and Robbie is unfortunately not here but uh, this will go to Snail, um, probably me as well. I'm not sure if either Garrett or Robbie has ever been to Morgantown, West Virginia, but they have a place there called Pies and Pints. They have all kinds of specialty pizzas that are incredible. And then Brian says, sorry, Snail, you can't try it. Uh, I, have not <laughs> been, I have not been to Morgantown, but I do love, I do love a good specialty pizza. Um, I, guess, I guess with Robbie not being here, uh, are, are we really going to talk about more pineapple on pizza snail? I mean, that really <laughs> you're you're on uh, as thin ice as it as as it can get really with, with in relation to this podcast. So if you if you want to continue to talk about the the abominations that you put on your pizza, then I guess I have to give you the floor right now. Yeah, I guess you do. Um, no, I won't. Uh, <clears throat> I won't. Uh, I won't make you guys go through that. The pineapple on pizza thing. That's let's put that to rest for the time being. It's probably the, not the last you'll hear about it. But uh, what you, this place is called Pies and Pints. It's not in Pittsburgh? Morgantown, West Virginia, home of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Are, is, is, is West Virginia close to you guys? Uh, yeah, it's probably like from where I live. I don't know about Robbie, but from where I live, it's probably like 45 minutes south. Oh, wow. Me. That's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. So it wouldn't be like absurd for you guys to have visited this place. It's not like it's a four hour car right away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I I could re, I mean I could go there and make a day trip of it theoretically and be back by dinner time. 
Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, I mean, specialty pizza joint, it's called Pies and Pints. I mean, it doesn't really sound like you can go too wrong with that. Garrett, you don't really like beer, right? You don't really like a cold pint? No, that's that's not really my vibe, but I do like pizza, so one out of two, 50% ain't bad. Something there for everybody. Well, unfortunately, Robbie's not here. I, I, I know he would have something to say about this. I, I really... I knew he would, but I guess we'll, sorry, Brian, I think maybe we'll just move on from that one. And, um, maybe if, if Robbie ends up, uh, hopping back in with us, we'll have to pass this back over to him, see if he has any opinion. So question four years from Brian, um, over the years, uh, questions were asked about rules that you'd like to see changed or removed altogether. Uh, but never what's a rule that you'd like to add. The only rule that Brian would like to see uh, changed is if you have a delayed penalty and score, you still get that power play. I was racking my brain and trying to figure out what would I like to see added to the NHL rule book. And Brian's example of a rule being added like that to me, I was thinking about it. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant because I'm all in favor of increasing offense. If you score on that delayed penalty with the extra man, Goal scoring in the NHL has, I think it's gone up in recent seasons and it continues to climb. We're not in the late 90s, early 2000s anymore uh, talking about the New Jersey Devils and the trap and the 2-1 games and things like that. But this is just another way for fa- fans want to see goals scored. That's what that's what they pay the tickets for. They don't pay the tickets to see fights, Not again, not to you know, go right at snail and, and, and the argument that not the argument, but the discussion we had last week about fighting people go to these games because they want to see goals scored. They want to see their favorite teams win these games. So after that delayed penalty, getting another two minutes or, or a double minor, if it's four minutes, you can have that as well. I think that would be an awesome way to increase goal scoring, increase offense throughout the league. The only other thing that maybe I might've talked about this on an earlier episode of a podcast, but the only thing that I would like to I guess it would be removed. I guess the trapezoid rule would be removed instead of added. But having goal, giving goaltenders the ability to play the puck uh, all behind their crease and sort of fa- facilitate the transition game that way, I'd like to maybe see the removal of the trapezoid. And if if goalies want to go out there and get leveled, then, then so be it. But yeah, other than that, I think that's a brilliant idea from Brian as a way to increase offense increase the goal scoring that's the most exciting part of the game at least in my opinion so having that there would be a tremendous rule that gets added to the nhl rule book what about letting goalies come across the uh the center ice like in lacrosse where like a goalie can actually like jump up and like run up into the play try score that would be chaotic and i would be all here for it I mean, that would be entertaining i, I had one for this i was kind of racking my brain about what about if uh I'd like your opinion on this too, Garrett. So like, what if in the last, when it's under two minutes in a game and there's a power play, the game no longer ends at the 60 minute mark, but you get to finish the entirety of the power play. That makes, yeah, that makes a lot. I mean, it's hard because the rule book, I mean, and rule books across professional sports are like football is a 60 minute, American football is 60 minutes, hockey is 60 minutes. Um, so I don't know how you sort of circumvent the rule book for a 60-minute regulation game. But I, again, that, any other way to increase offense and, you know, for however however long that penalty that or that power play is, I, I, could, I would be in favor of it. I don't know how you would 
if I mean, this is all hypothetical, but obviously, but if you were to approve something like that, I don't know how you would, what, what would the terminology, the language that would, you would have to put in the rule book that would say, okay, it's a 60 minute regulation hockey game, but it's not 60 minutes. If you have a power play in the last, under the last two minutes of regulation. So I, I guess something like that, maybe you, you uh, could yeah. put some sort of language like that in the rule book, but yeah, I mean, that's another way to increase offense, and that's really – that's my MO. I love seeing goals scored. I love seeing the superstars score big goals and big moments, so I'd be all for that too. I guess, yeah, when you think about it like that, everything – all the stats and everything are based off 60 minutes. Uh, I don't know. Let's not think too hard about it. That'd be exciting to see. Or, like, what about if you had – like, I've heard this talked about before, but, like, what about if uh, – the penalty kill scores a shorthanded goal. It ends the power play. Oh, that's a good idea. I don't know if I've ever heard that one before. Yeah, I think that would be that would be really, really unique and a way to go back and forth like that. I think that would be really unique too. I think it'd be interesting to see like the, the penalty kill is all around playing defense, but like if that was if there was incentive to score a goal and end the power play. Think you'd about how that would like stars out there. You'd be putting, exactly. You'd be there'd be incentive for like, yeah, there'd be incentive to put like Sid and Jake out there for a penalty kill yeah, exactly. or like McDavid and Leon killing penalties because they could score on it. And I think it'd be like that's you're giving your stars more chances to score goals. Like you said, that's inherently exciting. And uh, it, and it's just like kind of like the, you'd be awestruck at like, OK, our stars are out there and they're playing shorthanded and they're and they're scoring goals. Like, I think that would set up to be pretty exciting. Question five comes from Brian, and, and this is this is one that I wanted Snail to answer even before Robbie had to leave uh, and not record this week. But Brian says, is a salad really a salad if it doesn't have fries on it? Also, I'd like to add, salads are much better with egg and cheese on them as well. Snail, you living out there in the woods in the Pacific Northwest, I don't know if you've ever seen a salad with french fries on it, but... It is a Pittsburgh staple. So Oh, go that's at a it, thing. Snail. Is that really a thing? It is absolutely 125%. It, that and like Primanti Brothers sandwiches, that is like how you know you're in Pittsburgh, putting fries on a salad. Wow, I never knew that. That's interesting. So I thought that was like my brain because I don't know. I, God, I just must not know anything about Pittsburgh. I was thinking like, oh, he's like considering poutine a salad. Because, like, I would say poutine's a salad. Uh, but you guys I actually guess... put French fries on, like, leafy greens? Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. That's exactly wow. it, it, It's a salad, and then you top it off with French fries. That's awesome. So when you put fries on the top, does that, I mean, God, do we even go into this? Like, do you, do you put, like, ranch over the fries? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That is interesting. And he says he eggs, he puts eggs and cheese i mean cheese on a salad i've seen that i've eaten that myself an egg though like is it a fried egg or like a hard-boiled egg i think it's i mean i'm not the biggest salad eater in the world but i'm pretty sure it's hard-boiled i don't think I'd, i've never seen grilled eggs or anything of the sort on a salad but i've definitely seen hard-boiled eggs on salads <laughs> i mean i've definitely seen hard-boiled egg but just reading this with like fries and cheese i'm just like oh, oh is yeah. it a grilled is it a, gr a is it a fried egg on top of there um, I don't know. So is a salad really a salad if it doesn't have fries on it? I would have to say not anymore. Like on my standards, now that I know that that's a thing, I think I need fries. I need fried spuds on, on my salads from here on out. I mean, what even is a salad? Like, I mean, 
poutine is like kind of like a salad, right? It's like a Canadian salad. You got the gravy. Uh, not really. I I love poutine. But like, dude, I mean, you can like deconstruct things and all of a sudden it's a salad. Like you can take the innards of a burrito and take the tortilla away and throw it in a bowl. And it's a, it's a burrito bowl, right? Or like a, or I mean, a taco salad. According to the Oxford Dictionary... A salad is a cold dish of various mixtures of raw or cooked vegetables, usually seasoned with oil, vinegar, or another dressing, and sometimes accompanied by meat, fish, or other ingredients. So this definition has a salad strictly as a cold dish. However, I can see it's sort of like a, an amalgamation of vegetables you just put together in a bowl. So, I, I mean, I could see the argument you have about calling poutine a salad, or deconstructing a burrito and you know doing that sort of thing, but like when you think of a traditional salad, you're thinking of leafy greens, tomatoes, maybe some carrots, cucumbers. That's that that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I guess that's a, a salad in the traditional sense. But there are various various takes on salads wherever you go, really across the globe. Well, you learn something new every day. I'd like some clarity. Like, I need to see a photo of one of these, like, Pittsburgh salads with the fries on it. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's interesting. I'll put it in the group chat uh, after we're done recording. And you said something about, like, Pamani Brothers. I've heard you guys mention that so many times on the, on here. What, what, it's a local, is that like a local chain? Yes, it's, it's local to Pittsburgh and, or not Pittsburgh, but par, par, parts of Western Pennsylvania and Florida, there are the the company expanded down to Florida because I imagine a lot of <laughs> Pittsburgh retirees. That's where they go, and they can get a taste of Primani Brothers down there as well. So, uh, yeah, in case this is your first time listening or you don't know what a Primani Brothers sandwich is, it's 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 a sandwich, but you get your choice of meat, uh, and then you the the hallmarks of the sandwich are. A vinegar-based coleslaw and French fries on top of the sandwich. That's really what makes a Primani Brothers sandwich: is you put French fries on top of the meat, and you put a vinegar-based coleslaw on top of the meat as well. And that's really the hallmarks of a Primani Brothers sandwich. Another, but like I said, another Pittsburgh staple. If you couldn't tell already, for Snail and anyone else who hasn't been to Pittsburgh, uh, we love our potatoes and we love our French fries on things that maybe they shouldn't be on but in terms of salads and primani brothers sandwiches absolutely french fries belong on those sandwiches we should talk to this primani brothers or is it is it pamani's or primani's yeah p-r-i-m-a-n-t-i we should get them to sponsor the pod (laughs) i don't know anybody that works with primani brothers uh i don't know what they're what what kind of uh, what kind of plugs that they would like to have sponsored on on this Pittsburgh Penguins podcast? But if anyone listening to this podcast is working for Primani Brothers and knows anybody in their marketing department, hit me up on Twitter, and I'd love to facilitate some sort of partnership, some sort of sponsorship there. Absolutely. I mean, we pretty much give them a free ad. It feels like every other week now. Uh, you know what? You're right. You're right, Snail. We do give them free airtime every other week when we get these food questions. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's, we'll move on from that. But yeah, I look forward to seeing these salads with fries on them. I might have to implement that over here in my household. Um, we're going now to question six, I believe from Brian. Uh, Brian asks, do you miss when the rivalries with the Caps, Flyers, and even the Islanders were at their peaks? Those games that, uh, 
those games where there was so much hatred were fun to watch. Those playoff games against the Capitals, and I think it was 15, 16, and 16, 17. Those games against the Capitals, and even the, like the I wouldn't consider the Tampa Bay Lightning a rivalry, but those playoff games took years off of my life. Uh, and I think it was, was the, I think Benino scored a series winning goal against the Capitals. I think that's yeah. what it was. Uh, that's okay. That's what I thought. My memory is not great in case you couldn't tell, but going back to the, the origin of this question, the Capitals, the, I mean, the Capitals and the Flyers, even when Crosby and Malkin hang it up, those are still going to be the premier rivalries for this team. So much hatred has developed in the Flyers case since the Penguins came into the league in 67 and the Flyers basically dominating the Penguins until the Mew came and the Capitals have been intertwined with the Penguins since Ovechkin's arrival and Malkin and Crosby's emergence in the mid 2000s. Still so much hatred and so many, so many things in hockey history are intertwined between these three franchises, the Penguins, Flyers and Capitals and less so the Islanders there was probably a rivalry before my time in the 80s and 90s but you know as I'm speaking as a modern fan from the mid 2000s onwards there really hasn't been a rivalry there but the Capitals and Flyers that's it and the Flyers and the Capitals those are the two premier rivals for this Pittsburgh team even when Crosby and Malkin and Ovechkin they all hang it up and we enter this new era without these superstars, there's still going to be a healthy hatred there just because of everything that has transpired over the last 20 years. Question number seven from Brian. This will go to Snail. Who is your go-to Smash Brothers character? I haven't played video games since I was a teenager, but I almost, I almost always use Kirby, Link, or Captain Falcon. I just love swallowing people with Kirby and pooping them out. I don't think we've ever had a description of Kirby on the podcast, and I don't think we've ever talked about Kirby pooping his opponents out on the podcast as well. So <laughs> I I will say this before I give it over to you, Snail. I, I was never a big Nintendo player when I was a kid. Uh, it was like strictly PlayStation, PlayStation 2, Xbox 360, and then like back to PlayStation. My brother-in-law is a big Nintendo fan, but I, I mean... Looking at some of the Smash Brothers character, obviously you have uh, Mario, Donkey Kong, Yoshi, Link, and Kirby. I love Kirby for the same reasons that Brian mentioned he loves Kirby. Um, I, I, all of those traditional Mario characters I think you can pick from. But with me and my lack of experience when it comes to Nintendo and Nintendo games, I'm going to go with Brian and just agree that I love I love swallowing, I love watching Kirby swallow things that he probably shouldn't be swallowing, like cars, <laughs> and in this case, people. But, Snail, I'll give it over to you if you have anything else you want to add about Smash Bros. Yeah, actually, you kind of touched on it. Before uh, Before I got into the characters, I was going to ask, like, when you were growing up, <clears throat> were you more of, like, a Nintendo guy or a, or a Sega Genesis? But were, were you too young for the N64? Yeah, uh, that, was, that was just, probably just before i was born i'd have to go look in wikipedia and see the launch dates of like the n64 and the genesis but my brother-in-law is 31 32 i'm 25 so there there is a there's a real gap there age gap in the mid to late 90s slash early 2000s that, that i missed out on and my first real memory of gaming came with a playstation 2 just to give uh... you a general idea of like 
what I grew up with. But yeah, like I really missed out on the mid to late nineties and like all of the games that my brother-in-law loves and grew up with. I just, I never got to play just because I wasn't born. I could go on and do like emulation on my PC, but yeah, I, I missed that window of like late nineties, early two thousands. So have you ever gone back? Have you gone back and played the original N64 Super Smash Bros? No, I have not. Okay. Yeah, that's, oh man, what a classic game. I remember, like, I have, like, a very vivid memory of, like, receiving that game as a gift from my parents. And it was, like, it was so hyped up. Like, there were commercials for Smash Bros on TV at the time. And I remember I called up my my childhood best buddy and I was like, dude, I got Smash Bros. Like, you got to come over. And he came over and spent the night and we spent the whole the entirety of the night into the morning playing smash bros trying to unlock characters and all that classic awesome game um so to the to brian's question uh my go-to smash bro character was also kirby because he was so op you can steal people's uh you can you know swallow them up and poop them out and then you gain uh one of their powers um and i feel like his his controls were just like out of all the playable characters or whatever, like Kirby's controls were like the easiest maybe, or like the most like, <sighs> I don't know what it was. Just controlling Kirby compared to like any other character, it was like easy to kind of dominate, I think. So uh, my favorite was using Kirby and then actually swallowing uh, Samus. I don't know if you know who Samus is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. A- anyways, you'd swallow him and you'd get Samus's uh, like energy gun thing. That was like a, a goaded combo. Um, if I wasn't choosing Kirby though, I'd, I'd choose like Link, like uh, Brian said, and uh, <clears throat> Samus. I, I liked Cap when I when you first unlock Captain Falcon. That's kind of a big deal in the game, and uh, he has that Falcon punch, which is pretty iconic from Super Smash Bros. But like, I, I could never really get used to him. So, anyways, I, I love that we're talking about Smash Bros. on here. That's super nostalgic. I'm gonna have to hop on my my see-through green n64 later and maybe maybe play a few rounds of uh of good old smash bros um all right we'll move on here to question eight from brian <clears throat> uh do you think marcus Pedersen is severely underrated the lack of respect he's received since acquiring carlson is crazy there definitely seems to be that feeling right that he is underrated but he's almost like a silent assassin He'll chip in every now and again with a goal, but the fact that you don't notice him on the ice for the most part is a really good thing. He's not really a flashy offensive defenseman like Eric Carlson is, but between Pedersen and Ryan Graves, whoever Pedersen is going to be matched with, whether it's Latang or Carlson, I think that's the perfect yin and yang that you have for your top four. Carlson and Latang are guys who obviously are known for jumping up into the play and contributing offensively, whereas Graves and Pedersen can afford to stay back and sort of become that traditional stay-at-home defenseman. I was looking at some of Pedersen's advanced stats, and when there were there were rumors, I think going back to last year's draft, that Pedersen was on the block and Ron Hextall was thinking about trading away Pedersen. And we had talked on this very podcast about trading away Pedersen because his salary cap, just because it was going to to be salary cap relief for the Penguins to bring in someone else. 
and that obviously never materialized. And the Penguins are better off for that because you look at this hypothetical top four, uh, Graves, Latang, Carlson, and Pedersen, that is tremendous, tremendous depth that you, you can ice basically at any point in the game. Pedersen doesn't do one thing spectacularly well, but it's almost like you, do, you don't notice him and that's a good thing that you don't notice him. He's not going to make an errant mistake in the offensive zone. He's typically pretty responsible in his own zone as well. He's a lanky guy who can sort of help in the transition game. I think he's like 6'3", 180 or 6'3", 185. So he can definitely skate. Like I said, he'll chip in from the point every now and again with an odd goal. But because you don't notice him, that is the good thing. You're more inclined to notice their his partner, whether it's going to be Latang or Carlson. And like I said, those are going to be the guys that are going to facilitate the majority of the offense on this blue line. So yeah, Marcus Pedersen does sort of create this reputation for himself that he is underrated. And maybe that's a good thing for the Penguins because you don't have teams knocking on the door trying to acquire his services. And that makes the Penguins a better team, like I mentioned, because you have that that one-two punch. You have that offense coming from Latang or Carlson, and you have that steady stream a typically responsible defensive defender, either in Ryan Graves or Marcus Pedersen. So I think he's underrated, but he's underrated for all of the right things he does in his game. He plays the game the right way, as Mike Sullivan would always say. All right, question number nine. We will go back to Brian here. This will go to Snail. Would you like to see the NHL go back to wearing white jerseys at home and colored jerseys on the road? <clears throat> well, Brian, this took me no time at all to, to come up with an answer, and it's just no. I, I like the colored jerseys. Really? At home. Wow, I did not think you were going to go there. <laughs> yeah, I like the colored jerseys at home, actually. And I think I think that it I, – I, I just think it looks – I like the – like especially when the Penguins like brought back those uh, – what was their slogan for like the 1516 cup run? It was like what was it like something about gold? Like uh I they, mean they had a cuz those jerseys they're wearing were their like reverse retro type deal or something or it was like their alternate but they switched to them yes, for like yeah. part of the playoffs. Yep. And when they had those, I remember like <clears throat> I was thinking about kind of not this like I was thinking about this concept and I was like no I love the black and gold at home like I just think it I think it fits feels right what so you you don't feel that way Garrett I I think the white is super crisp and I'd love to see it I mean I don't have as I've made clear on this podcast many times before I don't have many jerseys in my collection however when Eric Carlson was acquired the first thing I wanted to do was buy a white slash away jersey with Carlson's name and number on it. I think the white is so crisp, especially the Penguins white jersey. And I, I think the NBA does this too. The NBA, in, in NBA home games, you wear white at home and you wear colored jerseys on the road. And I, I'm not sure. I think the NHL switched their philosophy or flip-flopped it coming out of the lockout in 0405. And I think that's when that change started. But before then, yeah, like go back and watch games of the 80s and 90s Penguins at home and they're wearing their white jerseys that you probably see today. So I was, I've always been in favor of wearing white at home. I think it just looks so nice and so crisp, at least from a, from a Penguins fan's perspective. But yeah, wow, I'm, I'm just, I'm honestly surprised now. I thought you'd be more of a traditionalist 
and say and, and agree with Brian. Maybe not agree. I don't know if if Brian wants the white white jerseys at home. But for me, yeah, like I'd love to have that switch be permanent. Huh. Yeah. No. As far as being a traditionalist, not not in this case. I think that the the color jerseys are just they pop and they're so sharp at home and and uh, I don't know about you. So I like you. You touched on it very lightly there that you don't really have a lot of jerseys in your collection. I have I have three jerseys in my collection. I got one on my wall and a couple tucked away for a you know dressing my Sunday's best and whatnot. Um, but dude, I could never own a white jersey because I'm like the sloppiest eater. Like <laughs> I'm just a complete mess. Uh I would never be able like dude, I don't even really own any white t-shirts because every time I get a white t-shirt, I mean whether it's coffee that morning or some sort of like food or whatever, like I can't keep food in my mouth it seems. So I would just never be able to actually own one and the black jerseys are able to disguise a lot of my um uh yeah, kind of disguise all the stains that come I come out from the food in my mouth. I'll see that because I, I, the one jersey I do have is it's a black Mario Lemieux. And there have been times where I have stained that as well. So I, I can see where you're coming from that reasoning because white, white does stain very, very, very easily. So I I'll see your reasoning and I, and I'll agree with it there. I actually, I, I should send this to the group chat. Like I have a Malkin, <clears throat> like a, it's from the 2014, 15 season, a Malkin Jersey. And I got mustard on like one of the very few white parts and it's like it's clearly there like even after numerous attempts to kind of get that out of there like the one very small area of white on that jersey has a yellow mustard stain we could probably go on with jersey talk for quite a while question 10 from brian uh why is gary bettman so hated this is a good one the guy can't attend any event without being booed gary bettman and Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred, they're all, from from the fans' perspective, they're all like the evil Emperor Darth Sidious. You know, they're, they're, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, it's like they're the reincarnation of evil personified. And I, I don't know if, maybe it's the the corporateness of Gary Bettman, if that's a word corporateness or the corporate feel or the fact that for, to some people, Gary Bettman just looks like an evil kind of low budget movie supervillain. But yeah, the same thing goes for Roger Goodell. You, you watch the NFL draft, the NHL NFL draft, any of those drafts, those commissioners are getting booed. Uh, and why are they getting booed? Maybe uh, your guess is as good as mine, honestly. Uh, there's probably a plethora of reasons why Gary Bettman and Roger Goodell, all of these professional sports commissioners get booed for changing the game, uh, you know, rule changes, all that sort of thing. But it it is funny. Imagine just Gary Bettman going to a nice fancy upscale dinner in like New York with his wife or family and sitting down in like some fancy restaurant and just getting booed by guys wearing, you know, suits and ties. And he just, you really, like Brian says, he wouldn't be able to go anywhere, go to the grocery store, pick out some cereal and go like go to the or go to the bread aisle and just picking out some bread. And he just gets booed by a random passerby. But yeah, that that hatred. And you see Goodell, you see Roger Goodell, you see Gary Bettman. They, they play into it. They know their reputation is what it is. But at the end of the day, 
they know what their their jobs are to serve the 32 owners of the hockey league of the national football league that's their job their job is to act as the public face for the 32 owners of the nfl and the nhl and the fact that gary bettman and roger goodell are still are the fact that gary bettman and roger goodell are still in their commissioner positions means that the owners the owners approve of what these guys are doing so that's why you don't see too many commissioner changes at the top level of these professional sports leagues because these commissioners do the bidding of the 32 owners and so far if any indication is to be believed the owners in the nhl and the nfl uh are satisfied with what gary bettman and roger goodell do respectively i mean he's it is kind of like odd i mean he's done wouldn't you say he's done like a pretty good job as a as a commissioner like the game has grown exponentially and i think maybe he gets a little bit of hate because i think maybe the growth of the game like that's kind of rubbed some traditionalists maybe wrong like you know earlier on but i mean wouldn't you say he's done actually like a pretty solid job i forget when his tenure started i think it was in the early 90s early to mid 90s but yeah you could argue from that point yeah there have definitely been some lockouts that have disrupted the game uh, and especially looking at the 0405 lockout where you didn't even have a season at that point but for the most part looking at gary bettman's resume he has done a lot of good for the league and you know has sort of transformed the game he's put teams in exotic markets there's there's no question about it you know would hockey work in the desert that's a question that we still really don't have an answer to as the coyotes are still dealing with arena issues. Will the Coyotes relocate to a place like Houston? There were talks for years that they wanted a, that fans wanted a team back in Quebec City for the Nordiques or putting another team in the New England area for the Hartford Whalers. But for the most part, Bettman has remained steadfast in his determination to try and make hockey work in these southern markets like Nashville, Arizona, it really didn't work in Atlanta, but that I don't know if you could really blame Gary Bettman for that. More so you blame the ineptitude of the owners who basically ran out of money and didn't have a place to play hockey. But yeah, for the most part, Gary Bettman has sort of revolutionized the game as he entered the new millennium. And I'm not here to really sing the praises of Gary Bettman. I don't care for him or Roger Goodell, but you can't deny how the game has really grown for the most part on a positive note from his tenure in the early 90s through where it is now i feel like uh he gets a lot of hate out of based off of things that are actually i mean he works for the owners kind of like what you said right so it's like i think he gets a lot of hate because of the olympics i think it's a crime that we haven't had olympics during kind of right now in where crosby's at in his career playing with like mcdavid and mckinnon like i they blame him for that but i think it's the owners that are kind of holding that whole thing up and um uh i've, I've heard arguments that gary's making the game soft and i mean i i i think the game is getting soft but i don't think that's gary's fault i mean you could blame modern health and science and the the proof that CTE is real and, and what causes it. And, you know, he implements this board of like player safety and they make the calls. So I think sometimes it's unfair that Gary gets uh, 
so much hate because ultimately I think he's actually done quite a bit of good for the league. Uh, we've seen cups won in LA, Tampa, Anaheim, uh, without those, you know, and in the desert, like, like you said, Garrett, it's kind of jury still out if that's ever going to work out, but you get like an Austin Matthews out of Arizona superstar in the league right now. I mean, you can kind of thank Gary for, <clears throat> for a player like him. So, uh, anyways, we can move on from this, but it, it's some like to Brian's question, it, it doesn't really sometimes it doesn't really add up why he gets so much hate, but he owns it and he's a pretty good sport about it. I think he's a he's pretty good for the game, I would say. All right. Question number eleven. We're switching it up here. We're going back to our friend from, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's Denmark, who asked a question last week. Uh You'll never walk alone, Justice97, the big Liverpool fan from across the pond. Would you like to see Nikolai Ehlers or Oliver Bjorkstrand in a Penguins uniform? If yes, which player would you like to see the most? And what do you think that either player could contribute if they were in the black and gold? Um, Actually, yeah, like I, I, I can answer this pretty easily. Um, I would totally take Nikolai Ehlers as a Penguin. Uh haven't really thought much about what it would take to get him. He's a pretty solid winger in Winnipeg. Um, I feel like a few years ago, maybe 2019 or something, there was actually a, just on social media, there was some rumblings that maybe the Penguins were looking at a Nikolai Ehlers over in Winnipeg in, in some sort of uh, trade deadline deal. Never ended up happening, obviously, but... Um, I honestly, I remember Oliver Bjorkstrand in, in Columbus a little bit, <clears throat> and he never, I never really went out of my way to look up his stats after a game or something. I always kind of felt, the the only reason I really know much about him is because I live here in Seattle and Seattle picked him up, and that got me a little bit curious about him. I'd never watched a game and been like, and circled Bjorkstrand and been like, oh, that guy has popped off tonight. That guy was noticeable. So with that, Nikolai Ehlers has done that. I've watched games of his where I, I he was a, he's a crafty winger. Um, he's pretty much a lock to score twenty, six foot tall. Put him on a line with Gino or Sid, and I think you inflate his stats even more. Um, no disrespect to Shifley and Blake Wheelers, but that's just kind of what Gino and Sid do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would I would take a Nikolai Ehlers any day of the week and twice on Sunday. What about you, Garrett? You have any input on either of these players? I don't know these players incredibly in depth. I know both of these players would be very valuable top nine assets, both Bjork Strand and Ehlers. I think Ehlers is a better player than Bjork Strand, and I think Ehlers is still in. Is, he's still in Winnipeg, isn't he? Yeah, he is. That's what. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, I think Ehlers is probably. I don't want to say more elite than Bjork Strand, but I think I would rather see him. I would rather see Ehlers than Bjorkstrand on a top line role with either Crosby or Malkin. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't sit here and say that I know these two players incredibly in depth. Uh, I, vaguely from when the, when, the, when the Penguins play I, these West Coast teams, whether it's Seattle or Winnipeg, you only see them a couple of times a year. But from what I do know from Ehlers and Bjorkstrand, both players are very solid top nine, even you could argue top six. And in Ehlers' case, I think he could be a very valuable top line asset. Yeah, either way, both of them are pretty good players. I've seen a little bit of Bjorkstrand more here in Seattle, and he's, you know, he's a lot better than I, than I gave him credit for. I never was like, yeah, boo, Bjorkstrand, you stink. But like, 
he's definitely a good good winger um honestly for top nine purposes probably take either of them if you didn't have to give up too much uh let's see moving on here to a question number 12 from tony nikunin and tony asks who is your favorite finnish born penguin of all time and why so the penguins don't really have a a really storied history with finnish players the the first finnish player that came to my well there's two and in recent history, Oli Mata, who was drafted in the first round by the Penguins, had a high draft pedigree, and he was bang average in his time here in Pittsburgh. He sort of found himself again, I think most recently with the Detroit Red Wings. But the player, the first player that came to mind, he was only he was here for a short period of time, but he was very, very popular player who had great positional flexibility. It was UC Jokinen. I remember watching UC Jokinen. I think it was 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014. His uh, hands, especially in the shootout, were amazing. I mean, Phenomenal he just had, in the shootout. He, he's, I think he statistically, I don't have the shootout stats in front of me. Statistically, he's one of the best all-time shootout players. Uh, his his mitts, I, I, I hate these hockey cliches and hockey speak, but his mitts were just so silky. And he, he could play in the bottom six. He could play alongside Malkin or Crosby if needed. He was just that versatile of a player as a forward. And so that was the first first finished player that came to mind. I absolutely loved watching Yusei Jokinen play uh, with Crosby and Malkin, and I loved watching him in the shootout. Question number 13, we'll go back to, I think we're just going to call, I don't know, I, I don't know what this, this, uh, this, this fella's first name is. I don't know if he's included his first name in a tweet, but for mailbag purposes, we're going back to our friend in Denmark. We're just going to call you Justice97. You're the Liverpool fan. I could just call you the Liverpool fan. Question number 13, what Penguins jersey is your favorite and what is your worst, I guess, least favorite Penguins jersey, Snail? Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, I actually don't, I'm a huge fan of it, but I don't know the name of it. They were their alternate jerseys, I believe from, uh, last year. They're like the retro, uh, they're black and gold with the diagonal lettering, kind of like the Rangers lettering. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I, I love that Jersey. I love, I just think it looks sharp. I love the diagonal lettering on it. Um, and then as far as like, what's my least favorite jersey is there's actually a few that i hate i hated dude the one that really stands out to me is that alternate jersey from uh, 2019 i think it had to have been 2019 it looked like if you were to order a like chinese penguins jersey from wish.com and i just there was a lot of like uh, just shit memories in it too like i just feel like i every time i watched them in that jersey jack johnson was doing something egregious and taking like two double minors in like the span of like five seconds um i hate that one. i honestly don't like any of the penguins jerseys that have blue i think they've had a couple blue really? jerseys yeah wow. do you how do you guys in pittsburgh feel about those blue jerseys i mean the blue jerseys have terrible memories associated with them but, uh, the the first winter classic against buffalo that had the the lighter of the two blue jerseys. I like that. I like that jersey a lot. The second Winter Classic does not carry uh, fond memories for a variety of reasons, that being the jersey Crosby was wearing when he was concussed. I think the Penguins have had some bad luck wearing blue jerseys, and that's why you haven't really seen it resurrected. 
in the later portions of the Crosby Malkin era. But I, I for as a as an alternate as a throwback, I love the blue because it's so incredibly different to what when you think of Pittsburgh and you think of Pittsburgh sports, you think of black and gold. All three teams wear a variation of black and gold because it's the city's colors. It's on the city flag. And blue is just so different from that black and gold that we've all been used to and we love so much. Uh, I would be very much in favor of wearing a blue jersey, but I, I absolutely see why the Penguins don't incorporate it because there have been quite a few bad memories wearing those blue winter classic jerseys. Yeah, I I, I just think of like Sid getting hurt in that one, that one of the darker of the of the blue jerseys. Yep, uh, that was the darker of the blue. Yeah, not. I mean, I Sid's a superstitious guy. I, I can be kind of a superstitious guy. I, I almost feel like maybe knowing how superstitious Sid is, do you ever wonder if maybe he's like, eh, eh, we're not using any of those? I, I I have no evidence, but I would not be surprised if if uh, Sid exercised some of his uh, some of his leeway because he certainly has a lot of it. I would not be surprised if he talked to the upper management. Uh, this was even before Fenway Sports Group came on board, but I would not be surprised if he and Mario sat down and Sid said. I do not want to wear a blue jersey for the rest of my time as an active player. <laughs> Wouldn't be shocked at all either. Um, all right. This is question number 14 from Justice97. There is a lot of talk about Eric Carlson's contract, but do you see any problems with it? <clears throat> if, as expected, the wage bill uh, increases over the next couple of seasons? Yeah, there's definitely... Even when Carlson was acquired, I saw on Twitter there were people who weren't a fan of having that massive cap hit, that $10 million plus cap hit for Carlson. But when he was traded, I didn't have a problem with it. I still don't have a problem with it a month later, and I'm not going to have a problem with it three or four years from now. Because, like you mentioned, the salary cap is going to increase, giving the Penguins even more uh, even more flexibility to construct their roster. I was just reading an article in The Athletic today and uh, I think you can hypothesize that over the next three seasons, the salary cap could increase anywhere from ten to twelve million dollars over the next over the next uh, three or so seasons, if recent estimates are to be believed, and that's what actually happens. So I have no problem with Eric Carlson's contract. I won't have a problem with it. Like I said, three years from now, you acquire Eric Carlson, and you acquire and you take on that contract for one reason: you're avoiding the rebuild at all costs and you're giving this core one more group to try and really win a championship and that's why i was such in favor of kyle dubas swinging this trade for carlson because it gives crosby and malkin and Latang one last really good hurrah one last really good go around to try and win one more stanley cup after that even if they don't win another championship i am satisfied with 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 what this core has done over the last nearly 20 years uh you can't ask for anything more than what the penguins of this era have given the fans. So I, again, going back to Carlson, I have no problem with the contract. The salary cap is set to increase. You could argue exponentially over the next three to five seasons after, since we're out of the, the COVID era lockdowns and the salary cap remaining flat where we're, we're done seeing that. So I have no qualms about Eric Carlson as a player or his contract as we get to watch him for his first season in Pittsburgh. Question number 15, back to Justice 97 here. How do you see the goalie situation playing out? 
would you strengthen it at all? And do you think Tristan Jari can take us all the way to the promised land? Well, would I strengthen it? Hell yeah. I would have, I was very much in favor of, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Like I, I have my doubts about Jari. Um, I know that there's a lot of Jari faithfuls out there and there's a lot of people that are, take it far more extreme from far more extreme than I do. Would I have strengthened it? Yes. I think that like going for, I mean, I was on the Gibson train, bring, bring Gibson back to back home to Pittsburgh or, uh, let's, really swing for the fences here and get something done with Hellebuck, give Winnipeg whatever they need and get a Hellebuck over here. More so in favor of that than actually when the Carlson rumors started, I was like, wait, what about Hellebuck? Like, anyways, um, so yeah, would I have strengthened it? Yes. Can Jari take us all the way? I have my doubts, but like if he's healthy and he comes in with, you know, this mindset that there is, we're not, there's no longer any doubt about him being our main guy in net. This is his net. And, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if maybe with the looming contract, like did that shake his confidence? But no, this is his, he's got the long-term deal. Uh, you know, is he due for a bounce back season and can he kind of just take it and run with it from there? You hope so. Um, that's kind of how I see it. It's probably not the most positive light on the goaltending situation. Um, I feel like there were just so many times where Jari really had, you know, he was in the playoffs a few times and, uh, there was just so many saves that I wish he could have made. And, um, I'll kind of digress from, from that. I would be really curious to hear what, what Garrett's thoughts are on should they have strengthened the goaltending and is Jari really the guy to take us all the way? But that's where I stand. Um, I, I, I'm happy with our backup situation. I like Nedeljkovic. Uh, I think he's a promising young goaltender who, you know, he was on a bad team in Detroit and he was playing very meaningful games in Carolina. So could you get a healthy competition going in net where Jari's like, I don't want to lose this. I got to play my best tonight. And you got Nedeljkovic who's on a pretty pretty fair contract but he can he could jump in and really uh he's had some some flashes of showing quite a bit of promise so anyways i'm gonna throw it over to garrett you have no choice you have no choice when it comes to tristan jarry and i don't i think kyle dubas realized that it was going to be incredibly difficult to probably swing a trade for a connor hellebuck and i wanted no part of john gibson myself uh, i think john gibson's best day, best days are very much behind him so you have Tristan Jari, who is still a member of your roster. I don't. I think Kyle Dubas's hands were tied because it's not like the UFA market, the the free agent market was filled with top tier elite goaltenders because it wasn't. So you have a guy like Jari who's on your roster. Yeah, five years may be a little bit rich for my blood, but five years from now, Crosby and Malkin aren't going to be here. So th this team is going to look incredibly different five years from now. So you you do with what you have and the penguins had tristan jari and he, you could argue he was the best option on that unrestricted free agent market he didn't even i don't think he even made it to unrestricted free agency and if he did then he wasn't there for very long obviously so kyle dubas his hands were tied as far as i'm concerned snail mentioned it if jari can stay healthy i mean I don't think Jari is a top five goaltender. He's not in the same class as a Andre Vasilevsky or maybe even a Hellebuck. But you don't need elite goaltending, I, I don't think, given what the Penguins have on offense and defense. 
You just need bang average or above average goaltending. And I think Tristan Jari can give you that. Whether or not he stays healthy is a conversation we'll probably have throughout the regular season because he wasn't able to prove himself. He was injured in the New York Rangers series. The year before that, he completely melted down against the New York Islanders and cost the Penguins that series. So we're still waiting to see what kind of goaltender is Tristan Jari is in the postseason. Is this season going to be that season where he proves himself and maybe takes them on a deep run? We have to wait and see. But between factors that were out of his control and between the Penguins not making the postseason last season under Ron Hextall, his injury against the New York Rangers in the Rangers series, he really could only play on one leg for Game 7. He melted down against the Islanders the year before. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of external and internal pressure on Jari. You have the contract. You have the big money that you were chasing as an unrestricted free agent heading into this offseason. Now you have to go prove it. He's been an all-star, and he's deserved those all-star honors, but let's see how healthy he can really stay can he play 60-ish games, 60-plus games? And can you give Nadelkovich or Magnus Helberg, whoever ends up being the backup netminder, because it won't be Casey DeSmith, can you give the backup you know, 15 to 20 games and take on that, sh- that starter's load? It just remains to be seen. But for the most part, yes, I think Tristan Jari is capable of taking this team and winning a Stanley Cup. I don't think Jari is some ham and egger jabroni who doesn't have any prior experience or success at the NHL level because he very much does. The health will be the biggest question that Jari has to answer coming into this season. Where I, I'm curious to know, like, <clears throat> I, I wish Robbie was here for this too, but Garrett, where were you at when kind of the rumblings were coming up regarding uh, bringing uh, Marc-Andre Fleury back to Pittsburgh? It would have been nice as like, se- like as a sentimental signing and I still think Flurry can be an effective goaltender, but he in no way, shape, or form can handle a starter's load at his age. I think he's, what, 38, 39, if not close to it. And here's the thing. If you were going to re-sign Marc-Andre Flurry, the first time Tristan Jari, or whoever was your starting goaltender, the first time that goalie makes a mistake or has a bad game, everyone in Pittsburgh is going to be calling to start Marc-Andre Fleury. That's just how popular and beloved of a player he was while he was in Pittsburgh. But that doesn't mean that he has the skill at this point in his career necessary to take on a starter's load. He is a perfectly serviceable, you could argue 1B to a Tristan Jari 1A, but I I do not want to be here in that alternate reality where uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is on this roster, and every time Tristan Jari makes makes a mistake or lets in a bad goal, you have a a subsect of the Penguins fandom saying, put Fleury in, put Fleury in, put Fleury in. He should have been the starter all along. That's why I was kind of against him signing in Pittsburgh. But as a backup at this point in his career, yeah, I think Fleury could be uh, absolutely put in that role and have success there. That's a good point on uh, the fans turning on whoever the number one is. And in this case, it'd be Jari. I could totally see that. Any bad goal that goes in, just take him out and put Flower in. Um, it kind of actually makes you really appreciate like the the mental gymnastics that Sullivan was going through in the cup runs with uh, balancing the 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 Murray and 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 Flower. Uh, tandem there with the injuries and the the bad games and and who to put in next right like you kind of think about to your point like about the fans or whatever that was that must have been a crazy time kind of entertaining that whole deal with uh 
you know, Murray going down for a bit and then putting in flower and then trusting his gut with who to put in next. Flurry took so much pride in his game. He wanted to be the starter. And that's eventually what he got when he was taken by the Golden Knights. He wanted to be the starter, but he wasn't oblivious to the fact that Matt Murray had a lot of success at the AHL level. And he basically came up and exploded right out of the gate at the NHL level. So the writing was on the wall for Flurry. As sad as it was to see him go, you took the younger, cheaper option in Murray, Matt Murray at the time. But yeah, I mean, it balancing, I mean, Matt Murray at that point in his career wouldn't have had an ego because it was Flurry's net for so many years. But yeah, a balancing act for sure, because you don't want to be in a position where you disgruntle Flurry. But I think Flurry is enough of a professional at this point in his career to realize, okay, Murray has the hot hand. He's the young gun. He's been leading this team to success. So, I mean, yeah, it wasn't, an, it truly wasn't an easy situation for Mike Sullivan, but I mean, they managed it. And in both years, 16 and 17, they got Stanley Cups out of it. So, what more can you ask for? Very true. Um, <clears throat> moving on here to question 16 from Justice 97. Do you have any idea why PPG Arena doesn't have the equipment to show video on the ice? Is it too expensive, too demanding to install? What do you think the reason is? So I'm not in entirely sure. Video, like video equipment in terms of like what you see in Vegas, like projectors on the ice and like laser shows and that sort of thing. But video, like, I mean, I guess in like pregame ceremonies, you can see video get projected on the ice and sort of watch some archival footage that way but if you're talking about like what vegas does they have this a really extravagant pre-game ceremony with lasers and lights and video projected from all various angles onto the ice and that sort of thing i don't think at this point especially with the owners that are in charge of the penguins now fenway sports group they're not afraid to spend money even if that means spending money to upgrade the facility so I think it's just, it's something that really, I don't know, the, the, the Penguins, it's, it wasn't really their thing to project video or, you know, that what really wasn't part of their pregame routine for the fans and attendance. Um, I don't think it's, it like, expense is not uh, a concern with Fenway Sports Group owners demanding to install. If there's a will, there's a way, especially with the, the open, basically open checkbook of FSG and that ownership. I just don't think it's, it's, you know, at the top of the list of trying to get equipment installed into the arena. Question number 17, the penultimate question in this week's mailbag. This one comes from Linus J. Where do you see Magnus Helberg playing this season? Is he a Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender or is he in Wilkes-Barre Scranton? Can he compete with Alex Nedeljkovich? Um, I think he's in Wil Wilkes-Barre. I, I think that that's where he will begin his tenure in the Penguins organization. Um, just kind of, I mean, I was looking at his his history and his statistics and also Ned's um, uh, stats. I just think that... Uh, Magnus is a little bit older. I mean, dude, this guy has bounced around. He has been on a couple continents, couple different leagues. He actually broke in into the NHL back in 2013-14. Um just looking at his record too from last year, I think he had like a 4 and 8 record. 
I think with him being so with him being a little bit older and more well traveled, I guess you could say, uh, I think he's going to be the veteran down in in Wilkes-Barre. And then you're going to have Nadelkovich and and Jari um, as the one, too. Um, But, yeah, uh, that's kind of how I see it. You never know. Maybe he has an unreal training camp and they send Nadelkovich down and, and you get Magnus backing up Jari to start the season. Um, I actually didn't know too much about him, uh, prior, uh, to, to the Penguins signing him. So I had to do a little bit digging, uh, a little bit of digging. So I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that, Garrett? Not really. Uh, as blunt as that is, it's, it's probably going to be Alex Nedeljkovic being the, the, the backup here. There could, like you said, there could be a comp, com, uh, competition in training camp and preseason to see who earns that backup spot now that Casey DeSmith is out of town in Montreal. So, yeah, it's 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 a wait-and-see kind of thing. But for the most part, I think my money is on Adelkovich being the backup to Tristan Jari and Helberg being that number three break glass in case of emergency goaltender you have in Wilkes-Barre. Agreed. All right, and I think this is our last question of this week's uh, mailbag. Um, I, I really like this question. Uh, this is from Linus J. Uh, considering the Scandinavian competition from Denmark a few weeks ago, as a Swede, I have to step up my question game. And he asks, who is the best Swede to have played for the Pittsburgh Penguins? So just in this mailbag alone, we had a question about the top Finnish-born players, and I uh I, I mentioned i think that was from uh who was that from that was from justice 97 I, I think it was yeah best finnish born player of all time and why so now we we go and look at team sweden here if you want to call it that the penguins have had a bit more success with the swedish players throughout their history you have players like ulf samuelson marcus naslin who was here for a cup of coffee cup of cup of coffee he was the the one that got away of course naslin had more success in vancouver than he did with the pittsburgh penguins but naslin was a member of the penguins before he broke out with the canucks uh my money though is on patrick hornquist and maybe that's recency bias because i am a younger fan but patrick hornquist for so long took that beating in front of the net he was the last draft pick in Sidney Crosby's draft class who just recently retired in this offseason just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, happy trails to Patrick Hornquist. He had an incredibly, incredibly accomplished career, always took a beating in front of the net for Crosby and Malkin, always agitating the goaltender, agitating opposition players. Uh, he is very fondly remembered in Pittsburgh circles, and rightfully so. Um, so my money for the best Swedish born player to play for the Penguins is the one and only ultimate grinder, Patrick Hornquist. I love that answer. So first of all, uh, that was actually Tony Nakunin who asked about the Finnish born Penguin. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry. I got the questions. I got the questions mixed up. You're right. It was Tony. My apologies. I just love that we're, uh, we're speaking on behalf of the Scandinavian representation, uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I completely and wholeheartedly agree that it's Patrick Hornquist for fi- for this is for my favorite Swede, our podcast's favorite Swede, uh, Stanley Cup winning goal. He's got the heart of a champion. He annoyed the shit out of those uh, the goaltenders and the defensemen. Just played with so much jam in front of the net. But what I like about him is like, and I think Garrett would appreciate this as well. 
uh, he never really fought too much. Like he was never really taking dumb penalties. He really played the game the right way and agitated in a way that actually would get the other team to retaliate. And more often than not, we'd end up with the power play um, as opposed to some of the other pests in the league. So Patrick Hornquist, 100% has to be, you know, there's been a, a lot of great Swedes that, that played in Pittsburgh, but, you know, especially with the recency bias with the Cups one and stuff, he, he played such a huge role in both of those wins. So um, I agree wholeheartedly with Patrick Hornquist. All right. 18 questions in, 18 questions out. That will wrap it up for another edition of the Pencecast Mailbag here at the Skating Penguin Network. Thank you to everyone who contributed this week with all of your amazing questions. And we will be back for Snail, for Robbie Noggle. I have been Gareth Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.